Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. As you've seen earlier today, for some reason, our computer hates PowerPoints. So there, there, there was no PowerPoints for the music, and even though we put mine in, it doesn't work. So we're just going to have to go without it. So you have to break open your Bibles, your real Bibles, or your electronic Bibles, get off that cell phone, but if I see you talking on it, you're in trouble. Okay, if it ain't Jesus calling, go back to the Bible portion. Okay, Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 8 is where we're going to start. In our Declaration of Independence, the people must hear. The people must hear that there is freedom, amen? This is Christmas. It's not X-mas. It's not happy holidays. It's not season's greetings. It's bloody Christmas. It's about Jesus. It's not about all these other things. Pardon me for getting passionate about the Lord. Here we go. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to actually begin with the last verse of chapter 7. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled into their towns, now we're in verse 1. All the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given to Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, the priests brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. Right there, put a little note, write the number 13. At the age of 13, a Hebrew male or female was bar mitzvahed, bat mitzvahed, made a child of the covenant. When they became a child of the covenant, they were expected to hear and understand the word of God when it was properly spoken. Don't think that 13-year-olds can't understand the word of God. They understand it really well. Can I get an amen from the 13-year-olds? There we go. All right. Now, verse 3, while he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it, meaning the book of the law, from daybreak until noon. Ha, you thought I preached long. No. Before the men and the women and those who could understand. There's that phrase again. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform made for this purpose. Now he lists many, many people. Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasi stood before him on his right. And on his left was Padiah, Mishel, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadad, Zechariah, and Mish oh, Mishelam, yes. Now, Ezra opened the book in full view of the people since he was elevated above everyone. They wanted to be no mistake that he had opened the scrolls of the word of God. He wasn't reading his own thoughts, his own thinkings. He wasn't reading the philosophers of his day. He was opening the word of God, that sacred text. As he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, Amen, Amen, meaning let it be so. When, word, when the word of God is read, there should be amens. Because when God says he is good, you should say what? Amen. When God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, what do you say? Amen. When he says that he wants to bless you, prosper you, give you a future, give you a ministry, give you a hope, give you a wife, give you a husband, bless you with children, what do you say? Amen. Amen. That's why you're not going to see Lenny and Katrina here today. Because she's pregnant and she's not feeling very amen-y right now. So you'll need to pray for that girl. Because she is not amening this right now. Okay, she's going through that price that you pay for that baby. She's going to pay it for the first trimester. Can I get amen on that one? Whew. Now it says right here in verse 6, Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. 
Jeshua, Banai, Shereba, Jema, Akub, then Shabuthai, Hobiah, then Maasi again, Hilkalitha, Azariah, Jobaz, Hanan, and Peliah, who were Levites, that's important, why? Explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. Ezra is on a platform in the front of everybody before the water gate. Before them are the Levites spread throughout the crowd. And as he read the word of God, probably from the book of Deuteronomy, the Levites were there to explain exactly what he was talking about. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the message so that the people could understand what was read. And all the people said, what? Can you imagine from early in the morning, standing in the Judean sun, standing to hear the word of God read. Not sitting at home with your headphones on and audio tape playing. You turn it off to get peanuts. You turn it off to get a soda. You turn it off to get a pizza. You turn it off to watch ESPN. They stood attentively. It means their ears were fixed upon that platform. They were wrapped with attention. It'd be like your favorite musician, your favorite singer, your favorite performer had stepped before you. That's how their attention was locked on that voice of Ezra reading the word of God. Remember, nobody had the word of God in their home. The word of God was sacred. It was kept in a special place. It was kept protected. Can you imagine your life without the Bible? Can you imagine your world when you could not simply reach over, pick up a Bible, and read the 23rd Psalm? Can you imagine a world like that? King James Bible is only 400 years old. Before that time, it was illegal to own the word of God. You know why? Because those who were in power at the time did not want you to know the word of God because then you would have to listen to the priest. The priest would tell you, you've got to bow down, you've got to back up, you've got to give this, you've got to do this, and you would have no way of knowing if you were being lied to. Why do I want you to have your Bible in church? I want you to read that Bible and make sure that every word that comes out of my mouth is accurate. Not every pronunciation of Hebrew names, Lord help me for what I just murdered right there. Whew, I killed those names, bad. I mean, I got little accent marks and I still couldn't do them names. It's ugly. If they were just Fred, Tom, Jimmy, Bob, they'd be all good. Here's the thing, though. The people were hearing the word of God for the first time in many, many years not just a verse, not just a few words. They were hearing from the beginning to the end. Perhaps Ezra got really happy, and he didn't just do Deuteronomy. He did from Genesis right through the end. Can you imagine being a young 13 or 14-year-old girl standing in the sunlight for the very first time, restored walls, rehung gates. Now there's safety in the city. Now you stand before Ezra the priest, the one who represents God to your people. And he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know what happened? Everyone said what? Amen. Nobody said, excuse me. Scientifically speaking, you can't create things in just six days. You need billions of years. <laughs> no one did that back then. Why? It's kind of stupid to stand in front of God and say, God, you're lying. That's a dangerous thing to do. I feel bad for scientists. I really do. They're walking the narrow, thin edge of destruction. They open up the book of the law. Of the law. Now, we all know that the Hebrews used scrolls, either parchment or vellum, scraped animal skins, and the law of God was written on it, and they were sewn together into large scrolls, and they would need a large table, and they would sit it down, and they would 
unroll it this way, rolling from one side to the other until they got to the section they wanted. Then they would read it, and that scroll was there, and you would see that it was actually from the temple. It was the Word of God. You need to have a Bible not just in your home, not just in your car, but in your head. So that when you hear the word of God written, you, when you hear that word read, you can go, amen, I know that's true. And when someone starts to lie or fib or tell you things that's not true, you can go, now wait a second, I've never read that in the word of God. Where did you find that? We had a great Bible study Friday night. We had a great Bible. I was, oh, I was excited. I was in rare form, boy. I was jumping up and down, screaming, yelling. The, the Pentecostal came out at me. Oof, it was fun. Because we were talking about the word of God. And I warned them, don't think I'm mad. I'm not mad. I'm just excited. I get excited when you talk about the Word of God. That's wonderful stuff. And I can talk for hours into the wee hours of the night. What do you get excited about like that? What would get you so excited that you would stand in the noonday sun, hour after hour, listening? Is there a band that you would travel from your home all the way across the country just to hear, to stand, not to sit, but to stand in the sun just to listen to that band. Is there a band like that? Is there a speaker that you love so much you would go and spend hours standing listening to them speak? That's the passion it takes for these people to really receive the word of God. For the first time in many, many years, the word of God was publicly read for everyone to hear. No doubts and no confusion. I love this. He unrolls, he unrolls the scroll. And he begins to read it. In the full view of the people, it says in verse 5, he was in an elevated place so that everybody could hear his voice, so there'd be no confusion. Now, I love this down here because it says, now the Levites were explaining the law to the people as they stood in their places. So there's Levites, and he might read some section from Leviticus or Deuteronomy. Have you ever read Leviticus? Do it sometime. It's really exciting. You've got to kind of go over and over and over it a few times to get it. But here's the thing. There might be a young man standing and go, excuse me, brother priest, what does he mean by that? And the priest could explain it. He could tell him what it meant. Ooh, behold, there's the word. Thank you, I appreciate that. Think about it. Those men were there only to explain so that everybody had a full understanding of the word of God, God's requirements, God's heart. Isn't that what your job is, believer? Father of the house, isn't your job? to be able to open up and explain the word of God to your children? Is it your job to be the source of biblical knowledge for your family? I told you, if you look at the Bible, it goes from God to the husband to the family, not from God to the priest to the saints to the husband to the family. That's the wrong order, people. No one stands between the man and his God ever. You don't need me. You don't need a priest. You don't need a saint. You don't need nobody. You just need to get on your knees before a holy God and say, Father, I accept everything in your word. Ladies, when you are single, it says in the word that you're under the authority of your father. But if you're a grown woman of 30 or more years, we're not going to get crazy here, um, you stand on your own two feet before a holy God. But you choose to marry a man, when you married him, you signed up for everything he had going on. Amen. And you're so happy about it. You just feel blessed, don't you? Shake your head, sister. He's sitting right there. Okay. Here's the thing. Would you bury that man? You need to pray, not nag, pray as he becomes closer to the Lord so that he can be that man for you. He can lay that out for you. I think it's amazing. Now, it says that they were translating the word. What does that mean? 
Where had these people come from? Go back to Nehemiah chapter 1. Where had the people in Jerusalem come from? They had been in captivity. They had been in slavery. They had been exposed to the Aramaic language. In fact, many of the children returning to Jerusalem returned only speaking Aramaic, not speaking Hebrew. Those of you who are from the Philippines and your children were born here, you know exactly what the problem is. Because if Ezra could get up there and preach in Tagalog or Cebuano or Ilecano, it'd be great if you're from there. But sweetheart, if you ain't from there, it's tongues. Seriously, it's tongues. And you need a translator. Thank you very much. Okay, here's the issue, okay? They realized that the parents could understand the Hebrew text. And Ezra was reading the Hebrew. But the children, the younger people, needed someone that could interpret it into their language, into the language that they spoke because they had been captive in a foreign country. So that was the job of the priest then. That's the job of the pastor now. The job of the pastor now is to help people understand those deep implications of the Word of God. Husbands, that's your job. Daddies, that's your job. Your job is to interpret from the language of King James or NIV or ESV or whatever B you happen to read into the language of your children. And the only way you can do that, dad, or moms in this case, is for you to know how to communicate, how to break it down, how to make it simple. Now, interestingly enough, this looks a lot like another event that we know in the New Testament, doesn't it? Remember uh, an event called Pentecost? See if this sounds familiar. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under the heavens. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. That means they were confused. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Parthians were hearing Jews speak Parthian. Ethiopians were hearing Jews speak Ethiopians. Everybody else was hearing the gospel, not in the language of the Jews, but in their own language. God's love was so great, he enabled these Jewish people, all 120 of them in the upper room, he allowed them to suddenly speak the languages of the nations so the nations could understand the word of God, the delivering speech of Jesus Christ. You know, that's an amazing, amazing gift. If you live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and you speak a language other than English, God bless you. You are wonderfully blessed. Can I get an amen from somebody? Y'all asleep today or what? Now, if I run across somebody who's Chinese, I'm hooked up, sweetheart. Six years in the country, I can begin to explain Jesus Christ in the Mandarin language. That's what I can do. Now, take a look. Oh, voila. Not a thing. <laughs> Color me gone, baby. <laughs> That's not my gift. But hopefully my gift is to stand here and make this understandable and applicable to your life, to who you are, and to show you that you are blessed. You are amazingly blessed because you are the translators to this lost generation of who Jesus Christ is. Ezra was simply reading the word of God. You see, the power is not in your education. The power is in the word of God. And the word of God, if it's in you, Sister Sharon, you're going to carry the power to Oscar. And you're going to lay the blessing on him. See, that's what I'm talking about right there, yeah. Okay, now here it goes. So he goes to all these people, and he says this at the very end. He says he goes to all these people, and we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. That's Acts 2.9. 
They were not talking about themselves. They were not talking about how great their churches were, how great their countries were, how smart they were. They were telling people in other languages, our God is good and his love extends beyond Israel to all people in all places. That is what the gift of tongues is. The gift of tongues is the gift to speak the glory of God to other peoples of other languages. That's an amazing gift. The ability to speak to other people the glory of our God. Now that's a wonderful gift, amen? That's what this gift of tongues is all about, but let's press on. Not just must the people hear, not just must they understand, must they have a translation, must they have someone that can relate it to them. Nehemiah 8, 9 through 12. When they hear it in their own language, in a way they can understand, they will rejoice. It will enlighten their lives. Look at Christmas. Christmas time lights up people's lives, amen? People get excited at Christmas time. And it's really, it's not just the gifts. It's because they see at Christmas a glimpse of what the Christian life is all about. They get a small idea what happens to you when you encounter the Christ of Bethlehem. That's what Christmas does. That's why at Christmas time, people will hear the gospel when they won't hear it any other time, when they won't listen any other time. They hear the truth because something of it rings deep in their heart and it says it's true. Have you ever started to share the gospel with somebody at Christmas time? Start with something as, as, as ridiculous as the silver bells and chestnuts roasting on an open fire and then take it and talk about the reason for the silver bells. The bells pealing in churches, declaring that Christ is born, that salvation has come, that man no longer needs to be at war with God, but can be at peace with God and with himself. Friends, I'll tell you one thing. Until you have peace with God in your life, you will not have peace with yourself, your wife, your husband, your children, or your world. The reason we have no peace in our life is because we have no peace with God. I told my daughter this story and she was amazed. World War I, Christmas Eve, the Americans and the British were on one side of the trenches. The Germans were on the other side. This is documented. This is not my own fantasy. Christmas Eve, this fighting had ceased because at that time, at least, all sides understood who God was. Weird thing was, the story says this. One lone German soldier was sitting in the trenches and he started to sing Stille Genacht. Heilige Nacht, alle schlaf einsamwacht, silent night, holy night. He began to sing in German a hymn he had learned as a child, as a kid, and he began to sing this to God, and the weird thing was, a British soldier on the other side heard Stilige Nacht, Heilige Nacht, and he understood the melody, and he began to sing that same thing, silent night, holy night. He began to sing it. And as he sang it, the other Brits sang it. And as he sang it, all the other Germans sang it. And as that song lifted up to heaven, as it went up into heaven, a weird and unusual thing happened. It's never happened before or since. The Germans got out of their trenches. If you're a soldier and you get out of your trench in a fight, what happens to you? You die. You get shot. But when they climbed out, so did the Brits. So did the Americans. And they got out, and in the middle of that killing field, they stood 
and sang hymns to God. They could not speak each other's languages, but they could speak the hymns of their childhood. Even soldiers locked in life and death combat can stop when they know that there is a peace that comes only through Jesus Christ. You understand how powerful that is? How much more does our world today need, need that? You see, they will rejoice when they hear it. Let me read it to you, 9 through 12. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people, instructing the people, teaching them, said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Why were they weeping? Because they were convicted that they were not faithful to God. They were Jews returning from slavery, returning from captivity to the holy city. They had just spent more than 50 days rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the gates. The temple had been finished 80 years prior. So the temple is there, glistening in its beauty. The walls are restored. The gates are rehung. They are safe. And now they realize that while they are physically safe, spiritually they're in danger because they have not given to God what he desires most which is our full, undivided loyalty. They had been among the Babylonians too long. Aramaic was their language. Perhaps the gods of Babylon were their gods. Perhaps they had committed idolatry. They had put something above the Lord. What have we put above the Lord? Money? Position? Success? Whatever that means. What have we put above God? And when we hear the word of God read, why is it our hearts twinge with pain? Most people don't go to church because it hurts to go to church. It hurts to hear the word of God. My friend's a Presbyterian pastor. He showed me his lectionary. You know what a lectionary is? A lectionary tells a pastor, you can preach this, but you can't preach that. All the verses in the lectionary that he showed me were designed not to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm thinking, are there that many verses in the Bible that don't hurt your feelings? God's theme from Genesis to the end is the same. I am God. There is no other. Worship me. Follow me. Not the world. Yet this lectionary was designed to make sure that nobody would feel hurt. Nobody would feel offended. Nobody would have their toes stepped on. You know what happens when that happens? If there's no repentance, there's no regeneration. If you don't know you're a sinner, you're never going to need a savior. If the only thing wrong with you is you have a bad attitude, you just get a better attitude, right? Truth is, what's wrong with us is we are twisted inside. We are horribly bent. And only Christ can make straight that which was twisted by the world. It's amazing. It's that they were weeping when they heard the law. Then he said to them, go and eat what is rich, meaning fatty foods that you can't normally afford. Drink what is sweet. This, is what, this was a sweet wine um, that was made for celebrations like weddings. Now get this, and send portions to those who do not have anything prepared. Since today is holy to our God, do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your stronghold or your strength. And the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still. Since today is holy, do not grieve. Then all the people began to eat and drink, send portions and have great celebrations. Because, why did they celebrate? Because they had understood the words that were explained to them oh my goodness celebrating god celebrating his word giving gifts and portions to those who have nothing 
What does it sound like? It sounds like Christmas. Christmas started with Nehemiah and Ezra reading the scripture and people returning to the ways of God. Remember in the Exodus? It says you need to sacrifice a lamb and take that blood and put it on the doorpost and the lentil of your house. And if you have no lamb, go with a family that has one and share it, but be behind the doors that are covered in the lamb's blood. Christmas is a time to give to those who have nothing what they need most, the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb is what people need. Not Feliz Navidad, not Joyous Noel. They don't need a new iPad, a new iPod. They don't need, well, if you think about giving me one, I want to revise that statement. No, no, really, no. We don't need this junk. The people who do not have Christ need more than anything to know that they are under the watch of the death angel. And Jesus came and gave them the blood if they would just apply it to the doorpost and the lintel of their heart and be saved. Christmas is about salvation. That's what it's about. It's the beginning. It's the fulfillment of prophecy and the beginning of hope for mankind. That's what it's about. Now this, this day that's holy unto the Lord, that's from Leviticus 23. Listen to this. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall prevent, present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do ordinary work. In, in other words, you need to stop. Stop life and recognize what God is doing. It used to be on Christmas Day, nothing was open. Because Christmas Day was, you shall do no ordinary work. Now, doctors, nurses, firemen, yes, you do what you have to do. But you stop in recognition of the gift of freedom and deliverance that God has given you. Most people have to work on Sundays. I get that. I have to work on Sundays. <laughs> this ain't work. This is fun. I like this. You may not like it so much, but I'm digging it. Here's the thing. If you have to work on Sunday, God understands. He really does. If this is what you have to do to keep a roof over your head, etc., I'm not saying if you're just trying to make more money because you want another iPad. If that's why you're working, you need to get your hands slapped and get out of work and go back to church. Sermon ends. No, just kidding. Anyways, but the truth is we need to take that time to stop and say Christmas is not about gifts under the tree. It's not about how much you can get from your family. It is about what God did for you and recognizing he is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our obedience. He's worthy of us giving him every gift and ounce of strength that we have. That's what it's about. That's what Christmas should be. You know what's great? We're just starting the Christmas season. How many of you decorated your house already? Good, good job. Our house is decorated, trees up, you know. I think I'm going to go out and surprise my wife and get them funky little light-up Christmas trees and stick them in the front yard so she'll be happy when she gets home. We'll do that later. Anyways, but the thing is this. Have we decorated our hearts? Have we decorated our lives? Have, you know, if, you, if you go past someone's house and the Christmas lights are up, praise God, you can see that at night. This one brother down the street, He's got to have a whole nuclear generator power in that house because there's lights everywhere. It's blinding when you go by his house. It's crazy. 
I love it. But your life should shine like that, especially at Christmas. There should be an unnatural joy, an unusual. Let's say, wow, did you get a Christmas bonus? No, I lost my job. What? Are you mental? No, but Jesus saved me. I am saved. I am not in, favor, in, in danger of hell. I can go forward. And that's why I'm happy. Not because of what I have on this earth, but what I have in eternity. Moms and dads, your children will learn to respect Christmas the way you respect it. If you don't, neither will they. Remember, they wept because they had not remembered God for all these years. Maybe they had even built the wall to save themselves. They had hung the gates to save themselves. Now they realize they had been doing it for the wrong reason. That's amazing to me. They had a great celebration because they understood the words that were explained to them. A solemn assembly, Leviticus says, dedicated unto the Lord. That to me is amazing. And they send these portions. Now it says right here that the joy of the Lord is your stronghold. That means a place of safety, a place of warmth. I didn't know this, but in, in, in England, the reason why the kings and stuff had so many little palaces was so that they would never be far from comfort. Even as they were traveling the country, there would be a small stronghold, not a massive castle, but a small fortified area. And inside there was wood, there was meat, there would be soldiers to protect him. It would be a safe place of comfort no matter where he was in his country. Isn't it great? We carry the stronghold inside of us. Whether you're sitting at home or you're on the road making a living, you carry the stronghold of Jesus Christ with you. Even if you lose your house, you still got the stronghold. Amen? That's what it's about. It says the joy of the Lord is your stronghold. What makes us strong at Christmas? God loved me so much. He gave his only begotten son that when I confessed him as my Lord and my Savior, when I confessed my sin and begged him to forgive me, he gratefully, lovingly ran out to embrace me like the father of the prodigal son. He ran out, he grabbed me. Richard, it's so good to have you home, finally. Why'd you waste so much time in the world? And I had to look at him. Dad, I don't know. I don't know why I wasted so many years, but I'm home now. And I need to live like a son of the king and not like some bum in the street. Let's finish this up tonight, today, one of these days. Nehemiah 8. I'm still recovering from yesterday. <laughs> Nehemiah 8, 13 through 18. The last thing we want to say. Okay, definitely. The people must hear at Christmas that there is hope, that there is freedom, that there is free sanctuary in Jesus Christ. All you have to do is die. All you have to do is die to yourself, die to your plans, die to all the junk you've accumulated and allow him to remake you, breathe life back into you, and make you the person he wants you to be. Then you should rejoice. Christmas should be a time of rejoicing. If you don't get a raise this year, I want you to rejoice. If you don't get a Christmas bonus, I want you to rejoice. Kids, if you don't get all 58 things on your list, for the love of God, rejoice. Not that I'm forecasting anything for her, but there it comes. You know what I mean? If you don't get everything you want, be joyful for the one thing that you needed. Jesus. Now let's finish it up. Nehemiah 8, 13 through 18. They will keep his word. They will keep his word. This is what he says. On the second day, the family leaders read the men. 
This means the men of the tribes, the men of the families. On the second day, the family leaders of all the people, along with the priests and Levites, assembled before Ezra, the scribe. What they assembled to do? Play cards? What does your word say? What does it say right there in that Bible in front of you? To study the words of the law. They did not assemble to talk about their own opinions. They did not assemble to construct some sort of way to make their life easier. They wanted to know what God required of them because they were intent on following through with it. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should dwell in booths during the festival of the seventh month. By the way, what month is this that they're in? Seventh. They're in the seventh month on the second day of summer. Yeah, here we go. So they proclaimed and spread this news throughout the towns in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hill country and bring back branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths. Just as it is written, put in the word of God, the people went out, brought back branches, and made booths for themselves on each of their rooftops and courtyards, the court of the house of God, the square by the water gate, and the square by the gate of Ephraim. The whole community that had returned from exile, notice this, the whole community, everybody, not just a couple. The whole community that had returned from exile made booths and lived in them. They had not celebrated this from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. You know what that means? They didn't celebrate this in the days of King David. Shame on David. They didn't do it in the days of Solomon. Shame on Solomon. They didn't do it in the days of Hezekiah. Shame on Hezekiah. They didn't do it in the days of Josiah. Shame on Josiah. Because none of these men had kept up what they were supposed to do. These men did not keep the word of the Lord. How terrible. How awful is that? Now, Zedekiah, the last king of Israel, he was a jerk. I understand him not doing it. He wanted the glory for himself. Now it says, and there was tremendous joy when they kept the word of the Lord. When you keep a proper biblical Christmas, ladies, when you organize your home according to the word of God, gentlemen, when you assume the position of priest of your family according to the word of God, young people, I won't say children, but young people, when you are under the authority of your father according to the word of God, there will be tremendous joy. Why? Because God designed our families and our churches to work a certain way. When we do it the way he designed it, it works. Amen? If our families are not working, do you know why your family's not working? Because you ain't following the word of God. Somebody in there is throwing a monkey wrench in the works. Would you like your family to be filled with tremendous joy? Would you like to see blessings on your family? Would you like to see a fruit from your ministry? Would you like to see people coming to your house to be saved? Would you like to see co-workers saying, please tell me about Jesus. Tell me why you're so happy, Wayne. Don't you want that? Of course you do. The only way that can happen is if we fully invest ourselves in the word of God and do it God's way. And that is hard. That is a day-by-day -day thing. Anybody here ever tried to lose weight? I gave up. You know why? Losing five pounds is so easy because you gain six the next day. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Comes back in spades. I'll tell you the truth. Losing weight isn't the problem. Keeping that bad boy off is murder. You know why? Because you can diet for two weeks. Ladies, if you're a bridesmaid, 
You want to get in them ugly chiffon dresses? You can die for two weeks. You get in that dress. You look like, well, never mind. And then the day after, what do you do? Pizza, ice cream, chips. Poof! It goes right back to where you were before. This is not about changing our lives for one holiday. This is about changing our lives for the rest of our lives so that our lives are consistently the same. I once had somebody come to my house and they spent the day and they said, Pastor, I'm confused. I said, why are you confused? He says, there's something wrong with you. I said, really? Where? He says, how come you're the same person in the pulpit that you are at home? I said, what? You know, those what the what type questions? He said, well, how come you're not one person at church and another person at home? And I'm like, because I'm one person. That's what I am. You get what you get. It confused him because I think he thinks that there's a church face and a home face. Sweetheart, your church face better be your home face, and your home face better be shown at church. Because you better be the same person today, yesterday, forever. You know what they call somebody who looks like one thing here, another thing there? Hypocrite. You know what hypocrite is? Hypocrite is a Greek word. It means an actor. You see, in the old days, this is very frightening to those of us who are men, all actors were men. Romeo and Juliet with all men. Think about it. It's really scary. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The only way you could portray somebody else was if the same actor held up a different mask for a different character. The mask was the character. The man behind it wasn't anything. That's how people live. They live as hypocrites, as actors. Here's my work face. Here's my home face. Here's my church face. What the heck is your real face? Who are you? And that's exactly what this is about. It is about being that same person. And they were filled with great joy because now they could return to the way of life God meant for them to have. Now he says, Ezra read out of the book of the law of God every day. It's not enough to hear the word on Sunday. Not enough. So we're going to start a brand new subscription service. Every day you can tune into my website and get your 30-minute blasting. No, just kidding. I heard a pastor say that today. He said, for those of you who don't get enough of me, you can pay $59 a month and you can get my personal blog. And I'm like, oh, Lord, what is this wrong with this guy? Never mind, you don't know that, Pastor, do you? <laughs> Anyways, so the whole thing is, Israel celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day there was an assembly according to the ordinance of the Word of God. That's the way it should be, church. When God says, every day you walk in the newness of life. There's a great baptism scripture right there. You are buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. And the next time we have an opportunity, I'm going to pull that sermon out when we get there. Now, the great thing is this. Book of Acts says this. It says that there were some men who were just like these family leaders. You see, why was it only the family leaders who returned to study with Ezra? Because if you look, the seventh month is the month of harvest in Israel. People had left their fields to hear the word of God. They went back to their fields to continue working. However... These leaders, these older people, these ones who were set apart for special service, they took time away from the very important task of the field because they had an even more important task, understanding the Word of God. Everybody else went back to work. The family leaders would stay and they would study, and what they learned from Ezra, they would take back to their families, take back to their communities, take back to their villages. 
Wherever you live, you are a herald. You are a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. And in the book of Acts, we have the same group of people, the same kind of idea. You know who it is, don't you? You know who they are already. It's over here, Acts 17. The brothers went immediately, uh, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. <laughs> God bless that city. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. That means they were ready to act on it. They didn't just hear it, they were ready to do something about it. And it says they were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They were in the word, not just reading it. They were testing it, they were proving it, they were making sure it was correct. Then they were ready to act on what they read. That's how we should be in church. We should be ready to read, and then check, and then respond. And if you feel a piercing in your heart, don't run away Figure out why you're being pierced because God's trying to get something out of you that's only hurting you. It's like a thorn in the flesh. If you feel the pinch, don't worry about the pinch. Worry about the thing that's making the pain. Whether it's jealousy, envy, arrogance, pride, selfishness, greed, false humility, to go on our study yesterday, Whatever is causing that pain that the Holy Spirit brings to your attention, get rid of it. Then you're free to keep going on and to keep moving. What a blessing. What an absolute blessing. Now today we come to the Lord's Supper. You think, well, why are we, why are we reading these scriptures about the Lord's Supper? Yeah, well, it talks about Christmas, but you know what? It talks about the Lord's Supper too. Why did they have this festival, this festival of booths? I'll tell you why. To remember that when they left Egypt, they lived in tents. They had no land, they had no cities, no possessions, no wealth, no power. They simply were nomads and wanderers in the earth. That should remind you of Abraham, by the way. Now here's the thing. When we come to the Lord's Supper, what does it remind us? That this is not our home. Raleigh, North Carolina, USA, Philippines, is not our home. It's our temporary tent. This is where we are for right now. Because one day very soon, that trumpet's going to blow, honey. And when that trumpet blows, I am out of here. I'm not even going to say goodbye. I'm just going straight up in the rapture, and I'll catch y'all at the feet of Jesus. Amen? Amen? If you don't know about that rapture, you need to come say, Pastor, you need to explain that to me, and I will be glad to explain to you how Jesus is going to come back for his own but until then, I can't be attached to this place. I can't be attached to my car. I can't be attached to my house. I am attached to my wife and daughter, but you can't break that one. And I am not attached to any of the junk I own because I am more focused on what is going to come later. God wanted to remind them that I am the one that brought you out of slavery in Egypt. I am the one who allowed you to go into captivity in Babylon because you were disobedient. But I am the one who is faithful, and I brought you home. This reminds us that while Jesus has left us to go back into heaven, he says, if I go, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm preparing you a home in heaven so that when I come back, I'm taking you with me. Here's the question. God's got a mansion set aside for you. Do you have the keys to your mansion? Do you know what I mean? What is the key to your mansion in heaven? Now, this is where your, your screaming liberal left, wing nutcase pastors start talking about tithing to the church no 
your key to your place in heaven is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. That is your key that turns the lock. Without Jesus, honey, you don't get past the gates of the community. Going to the Philippines freaked me out, man. They got, they got machine gun guards at the gated communities in Manila, you know what I mean? It's like, don't shoot me, I'm going to see somebody, you know? Heaven, there's no machine gunned angels. But to get past the gates, you got to get past Jesus. And the Lord knows his own. You can play me, you can play the church, you can't play Jesus. Amen? Yeah. As we prepare, I ask you this question right here. It's your turn now. It's your turn to respond to what you've read today. One, do you seek out the word of God in all situations of life? For Ezra's people, it was their first time to be exposed to the whole word of God, but then they came daily to study the word of God. So are you seeking out God's instructions, how to be a man, how to be a woman, how to be a dad, how to be a mom? Are you seeking that word out every day? Two, have you received the word with joy and excitement? It always amazes me when I see folks go to church and fall asleep in the back. Now, if you just work 12 hours in the ER, I totally get it. God bless you. I'll wake you up later, okay? <laughs> no problem there. But if you come and you're bored because you say, this doesn't mean anything to me. It's just the Bible. It's just a sermon. Okay, I might be boring. I'll give you that. I'm very quiet. I don't do anything. But the Word of God is not boring. The Word of God is amazing. If it's not amazing to you, ask yourself this question. Why is it not amazing to you? What is it about the Word of God, His promises, His love? What about it doesn't excite you? You know, I walk through the world every day, and there's all these beautiful women in Raleigh, North Carolina. I don't see any of them. You know why? Because my eyes are set on one woman and one woman only. So all the junk in the world, all the, all the stuff that's out there, I don't need a position, I don't need a title, I don't need money, I don't need credit, I don't need all that garbage. I need to walk faithful to my God. Daughter, if you're recording this and sending it to your mother, we're in such trouble. <laughs> oh my goodness, okay. She's over there doing this thing. Okay. Anyways, so, last question. Here it comes. Are you committed to following the example set for us by Jesus? That's how we walk out our life. Are you going to follow that example? It's Christmas time. Are you going to make Christmas about Jesus? It's the Lord's Supper. We're coming to the Lord's Supper. To take part in the Lord's Supper, you don't have to be a member of this church. So if you're visiting, you're welcome to take the Lord's Supper, unless you are not a believer. If you're not a believer for your sake, I cannot allow you to do it. Here's why. It says those who take the body and the blood of Christ without knowing what it means are eating and drinking death and condemnation to themselves. In the first century, when they had the preaching of the gospel, everybody was welcome. When they came to the Lord's Supper, do you know that the first century believers actually asked all the visitors to leave so they would not be condemned for their actions? That's what caused the Romans to doubt what was happening. See, people would go to a Christian service and they would hear about bodies and blood and they would think that they were cannibals and then that's why they threw all the visitors out. No, we're not throwing the visitors out because we don't want you to see what we do. We want you to stay and see what we do. But we don't want you condemned for what you do without any knowledge. So this is to protect you, not to make us feel better. This reminds us, just like the festival of booths reminded them, it reminded the Israelites you were nothing until God found you 
and took you and made you into a people. This reminds us that our home is in heaven. It reminds us that Christ loved us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remind yourselves of my broken body, of my shed blood, until I come back to be with you again. So let's pray, and as I pray, let's have our ushers come up front and help me with the Lord's Supper. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for the day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this amazing celebration that, Father, people could be walking in darkness so long in the very city, in the shadow of the temple. God, they could be in front of your very dwelling place, and they were unaware of who you were and what you had done. Lord, I pray that today, as we prepare ourselves this morning, God, I, prepare, I pray that we will be ready to take this blood, take this bread, to recommit ourselves to you, to, to, to refocus ourselves, Father, on who you are and what you've done. And God, I just pray that we can do that in Jesus' name. Amen.